In May 2021, the federal government announced an $18 billion package in response to the findings of the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety. 80,000 additional home care packages were announced to help reduce the significant waiting lists. But has this been enough to help provide care to some of the most vulnerable community members in Australia? Here to talk to me on the podcast about his new report on home care is Stephen Duckett, Health and Aged Care Program Director. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, Kat. So, Stephen, we've talked previously about the institutionalisation of older people on the podcast in our three-part series on aged care reform. What's brought about this report specifically looking into home care? As you said, the Commonwealth Government put a lot of money in, into aged care as part of its response to the Royal Commission. And included in that was about $2.5 billion on each year into the future for additional home care places. But there are a number of problems that remain. So fantastic investment, fantastic development here of home care. But home care is the foundation. More people get funded home care from the Commonwealth Government than ResiCare, for example, an order of magnitude. It's hugely different. And if we can keep people at home, they don't go into a residential care. It's a more comfortable environment for them. It's, it possibly saves the government money as well. So getting this foundation level right is really, really important. But what we know with the existing home care system is that it's got a lot of failures which were uncovered and reported at the Royal Commission. And so the reason we're doing this report is to say, hang about, this increased investment is welcome, but is it, have we fixed up the home care system so that the, uh, we're getting the best value for money and that consumers are going to get the best outcomes? Yeah, and we'll dig into that in a little bit, but I, I kind of want to dig into first what changes have been implemented to home care since the Royal Commission and since this announcement from the federal government. The most significant, the most significant is uh, putting in 80,000 additional packages, 40,000 a year for each year for two years, and they're there forever so that when people have finished uh, with that home care package, then that home care package becomes available. Massive expansion, almost a 50% expansion in home care packages. But when you look at it, we're not actually sure that that massive investment will actually meet needs. There's currently about 90,000 people on the waiting list, for example, and so the 80,000 is less than the current waiting list. And... If you put more packages in and there is uh, a lower waiting time, people might come out of the woodwork and say, hello, I can now get care that I couldn't get before. I can now get home care rather than going to resi care. And so there might be an increased demand. So it's pretty difficult to, to estimate how many additional packages are needed. But certainly the government has not made a commitment to keep waiting times less than a month, which the Royal Commission recommended and, and we support. Uh, keeping those waiting times down. Do you know what the waiting times are at the moment? Uh, so the last reported waiting times, some people waiting more than a year, and that's before the 80,000 uh, worked their way through the system. So certainly the waiting times, the total waiting list has come down dramatically over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of expansion, but uh, still the last reported waiting times are very, very long indeed. 
So, I mean, my next question was going to be, has it cleared the waiting list? And the answer is uh, clearly no, there's still people waiting and people coming out of the woodwork. I mean, what else needs to be done here? I mean, take us through some of the recommendations you have. There's three areas of unfinished business. So they've done a lot. The Commonwealth's done a lot. No question about that. But there's three things, three areas of unfinished business. One is the waiting times themselves. They, they haven't committed to keeping the waiting times down to, to less than 30 days, less than a month, as the Royal Commission recommended. Secondly, the system is an absolute mess, a complete, uh, it is shambolic. That's the technical term we use in the report, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Um, and it's shambolic in all sorts of ways. It, at the high end of home care, the so-called home care packages, there's a system called consumer-directed care, which there's a market. The, the consumer gets a package, which is a, a particular sum of money that they can spend on home care, but they've got no information to help them. There, there's no assistance in navigation through, through this market. We've got a massive increase in private providers in, in a poorly regulated market with home care packages. To get your home care packages, you have to be independently assessed, which is a good thing. But then no one helps you say, you've got this package, now we're going to help you find a, a, a provider that actually is related to the assessment of need that we've just done. So there's a disconnection between assessment and actually service planning and making sure you get the needs. There's poor regulation. It's just not responding to consumer needs. And on top of that, because the package system allocates an amount of money for the individual Many of them don't spend it all. And so there's one and a half billion dollars sitting in unspent funds that used to be sitting out in provider land, but the good news is that it's now sitting uh, in the Commonwealth government. But that money could be reallocated to actually expand the services. So, you know, it, it's a, a, a shambolic system. So we argue that you've got to fix the regulation and the oversight of the, of the system and so our solution is you've got to have regional, what we call regional stewards who, who oversee the system, do this linking up between the assessment and the service planning and the allocation of or getting people connected to the right providers and so on. So you've got to have a seamless system that responds to needs. And so that's the second element of unfinished business. Just don't assume that the market is going to fix everything because demonstrably it has failed. You just need to read the Royal Commission to see that. Let's start again and do something different. And the third area is about workforce. Workforce is absolutely critical to the quality of care. You've got to have good staff, well-trained staff to actually provide care in the home. And you, you're, you're a person at home, a, a, a frail elderly person, and you're inviting someone into your home uh, to look after you, to help you in the shower and so on. And these people are not regulated and they don't have a base level of training. And so we're suggesting that basically for those people who are doing personal care, that they need to have a vocational education qualification called a Certificate 3 to actually make sure that we know that they've got the right set of skills and they ought to be registered. Now, the problem is that there's a huge number of vacancies out there in the market and that's partly because people are not being paid adequately. The carer is getting paid less than the burger flipper. The skill level is very different and the professionalism is very different. And so we're saying there needs to be a, a pay uplift. Well, in fact, everybody's saying that. And there happens to be a case in the Fair Work Commission on right now, which is going to be heard and determined in the, in the early part of next year. But the Commonwealth Government has made no commitment to fund their, uh, no explicit commitment 
to fund the outcome of that. And so what we're saying is, look, the Fair Work Commission is the independent arbiter. It's going to determine a fair rate of pay. Once that's been determined, the Commonwealth Government needs to ensure that it takes that into account in, set, in setting, say, the home care package cap, because if they don't, people can get less services than they need and so on. So, And it's inevitable that the Commonwealth is going to have to pay some or all of the, uh, the, the uplifting wages, and so why don't they be explicit and just get on with it? The line that struck me in the report is one you referenced there, which is home care workers' wages are on par with food workers, cleaners and animal attendants. I mean, that's quite a shocking image because we clearly, we value our elderly, we value our family members. And, you know, I think I think when anyone's faced with that personal issue that they, they want the best for their family, but clearly we're not paying them enough. Yeah, yeah, Kat, if you think about it, with the burger flipper, the food attendant, they're supervised. They're in a, a workplace which has got other people there. Whereas the home care worker goes into your house, helps you undress helps you have a shower, help make sure that you've, you know, you've taken your medication or whatever. And so they need to have a level of professional skill. They need to be accountable and you need to be able to trust them. At the moment, we're not attracting the people into this, into this field that we ought to be. We are letting our older folk down by not making sure they have the right supports when they need it. I mean, there's a question here as well with COVID-19, with the borders being closed, a lot of workers in this area, migrant workers, people who have come to Australia to work in the aged care industry, and is that why we're kind of seeing a shortage here? I think there's a, there's a bit of that. We've got to be very careful about relying on migrant workers uh, because depending on what country they come from, their language skills may not be really good enough um, to make themselves understood to the person at home. Migration of that kind should be a short-term solution. We should be training staff to do this work. These can be entry-level jobs. A cert tree can be done in six months or it can, in fact, be done on the job. So we ought to be seeing this as a path into employment or back into employment. We ought to be seeing it as a, a way people can get into a workforce. The health and social care industry is the fastest growing industry of employment, both over the, over the recent past and projected into the future. So we ought to be getting ready for that. We ought to be making sure the employment is attractive and you know people can get a whole lot of value from caring for someone else, but we also need to make sure they can afford it and they're not tempted to go and work in the food industry, the hospitality industry or wherever, and rather that they are adequately remunerated for the work they're doing. So, Stephen, I mean, touching back on one thing that you said that did quite strike me, that there's $1.5 billion um, essentially falling into the cracks in the couch here in this system. I mean, is that something with better management could be used to procure a pay rise for people? Yeah. So it's really interesting. When, when we first started working in this area, it was just over half of that number. So it's been going up quite uh, rapidly. And it's caused be because of the design of the system, the, the, the so-called consumer-directed care model. And it used to be, as I said, held in the provider's bank account with more or less no accountability for it. But the good news is the government has said we're going to claw that back and it's going to be held by in the department, which means the department has much better oversight of it and can say, hang about, 
you look like you're claiming 30% overheads for looking after someone for two hours a week. You know, this is a bit, this is a bit rich. And so there's going to be, I think if all goes well, there'll be much better oversight, which means we'll probably end up with more money in that $1.5 billion because it's just not going to be spent as much. And, of course, that means this is money that could be then say, look, we changed the system. We're not going to allocate all the money in that way. We're going to allocate in a different way, which frees up that $1.5 billion to be spent on more packages, better wages, better stewardship, and so on. So, I mean, a contentious question is, is privatisation of home care the answer here? Should we have more private enterprise in the system? If privatisation was the answer, we would know that now. Basically, almost all of the expansion in home care over the last five years or so has been through private companies. Private providers have expanded dramatically and there's been only a marginal expansion of some of of non-government and government uh, services. So if privatisation was the answer, we would have seen it. But unfortunately, the, the Royal Commission says, hello, folks, the, the system is a disaster. In a sense, you could have almost guaranteed that. Uh, there's been a whole lot of work done overseas about the equivalent of consumer-directed care and it's shown not to work. But if you think about it this way, you've got older people who often uh, are less computer literate than younger people They sometimes need assistance early and they're they're getting no assistance to make choice. There's no information to judge quality. In a market, you've got to be able to describe the product you want and you've got to be able to measure its quality. And neither really works because caring is so personal. And so it's very hard to define what what you want until after you've observed it. And once you've observed it, it's hard to say no and so on. So there are all sorts of reasons why you have market failure. And so if you are relying on the market in a context of poor regulation, poor information, market failure, often no competition, especially in rural Australia, then hello, it's bound to fail, which it has as the Royal Commission showed. So Stephen, one last question for you and something I wonder, um, does the increased spending on aged care and home care come at the cost of younger taxpayers propping up the ageing population here? So that's a sort of a very direct way of putting it, Kat. Another way of putting it is what do you think Australians want from their taxpayers' money? Do they want their grandparents to be living in squalor, uncared for, looked after by poorly trained people, waiting a year to get services? Or do they think hello, one of the priorities we want and we want to spend money on is good quality care. And as a matter of fact, there's been some academic surveys done which actually just show that, that that Australians think it is reasonable to put more money into the aged care system to get better quality care, to get their granny, their grandfather uh, looked after properly. I couldn't agree more, Stephen, and I've said in previous podcasts that it feels like an ethical responsibility for Australians to put money into this. And I think that's exactly what Australians think. I've just read a a paper the other day which looked at healthcare spending generally, and what they found across a number of countries was that a higher level of spending on public healthcare, higher public proportion on healthcare spending, was associated with higher public satisfaction, possibly because they think the system is fairer 
possibly because they think that means they're not going to have access problems. And I think the same sort of argument ports across to the issue of additional spending on, on aged care. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. It's always great having you on the podcast and having your insights into health and aged care. If you've enjoyed this podcast today, please chat to us some more on social media at Grattan Inst on Twitter and at Grattan Institute on all other social media channels. If you'd like to read the report we've been talking about today, please go to our website, grattan.edu.au, and it's there free for you to read and check out online. As we're coming into Christmas, please take care and thanks for listening.